speak to us, but that we would hear what he has to say and that we would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ this morning as his word comes to us. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. We've been talking a lot and uh, hopefully saying a lot. Sometimes we're talking a lot and saying nothing, but... As we're singing that one new song, it says, you know, bring me to the cross where you have died. Bring me to the place, you know, the side where, you, you know, to your bleeding side. You know, and I'm singing that and I'm saying, who in the world would sing that song? Because, I mean, that's everything that we're running away from. You know, you, in, from God's perspective. And this is where the eyes of our understanding need to be open. Because as in Romans, it talks about, you know, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? For the good that I would, I don't do. And that which I wouldn't do, that I do. And Paul cries out and finds a dilemma. See, the gospel brings us face to face with a wrathful God. Jesus begins the message of the gospel, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the gospel brings us to the dilemma of our own sin, our own inability to serve God or to even know Him. And the gospel even starts out, but again, I think because we're immersed in such, in this world, and the prince of this world is growing, or at least it seems to be growing in influence and power. In so much that even in the book of Revelations, and hopefully we'll get to that today, it says, you know, the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. But where has he been cast down to? The earth. And says, rejoice, O you that are in the heavens, but watch out, you that are in the earth, because he's mad. And the Bible talks about that the Holy Spirit that's not allowing things is going to be taken out of the way. And we see that ever increasing. So again, in in God's perspective, we see virtues that God highly extols. The trying of our faith is more precious than that of gold. And when, when it appears before him, it's going to be tried as with fire. And that's what's going to remain. And it's going to be his works that by faith that are produced in us by his son that are going to remain and give him glory. And from God's perspective, he highly exalts that and highly wants that in so much that that's everything to him. That faith and the trying of our faith is more precious than that of gold. But in us, that's probably the, the least thing. We, that doesn't even make it on our precious moments list. Jim, we were listening, there's a little excerpt video, and Jim says, tribulation is a good thing. That's about the reaction I had. Is this guy a nut? You know, I mean, take me to the cross. See, again, if we only view the gospel from our perspective, if we only hear Jesus' words as mere humans, Jesus says, you profit nothing. You go away empty. But somehow we need the eyes of our understanding open. We need to pray that God would speak to us because it's only those that can hear the eternal voice of God whose lives are changed. You know, I was talking. I'm going to give you a smattering, then we'll get into the Word because I believe God has got some things for us. Yeah, yeah. Always next week's going to be my better message. I always get next week's message this week. And then by the time next week is here, I get the one for that after. So I'm never, I'm never on, on time. That's really a, it's really a trial. But I believe God wants, is, is speaking to us, and God has chosen us. We, you know, quite some time ago, we, we, I said, and the Bible makes this clear, that God has made some decisions about your life. God orders our steps. Romans talks about that. Let me just get that. Romans 11. We read that, I think, last week, but it'd be good to start there. Romans 11, 36. For for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. He's in control of all things. He's done all things. He knows the end from the beginning. He's foreknown us. And nothing touches our lives, but it is God himself speaking. Did we hear God today? Do we discern his hand in everything that happens in our life or only mere occurrences? 
And many times I think God is orchestrating our steps and we don't see the very hand of God. But I believe, as it says in Deuteronomy, it says, you know, we, we're talking a little bit about this, I think, on Wednesday. It says, you know, for 40 years, God worked with the children of Israel so we, they could learn only two things. Be careful if you know too much. Because sometimes when we know so much, God can't tell us anymore. We already know what God's doing. See, some, some of us right now in, my, in our minds are clocking what I'm saying because you already got your doctrine down. No, that couldn't be God. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what we all do. So he came to his own. God's going to come to his own. He's coming here this morning. But the, 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 the lesson of Scripture is, and the Gospel starts out, the Gospel of John, starts out with he came to his own, and his own what? Wow. How many people would need the Lord this morning, or would you think you'd recognize him when he comes? If you think you recognize him when he's going to come, we make God a liar, and we have no need of his Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says in Isaiah, prophesying of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing in him that we desire. I mean, if you were going to look at him on the cross as we sung that song, there's nothing in my natural life that would desire to be on the cross with Jesus. As a matter of fact, even when Jesus is paying the price for sin, fulfilling God's ultimate thing, the humans are looking at him, the religious saying, why don't you come down off the cross and prove you're God? They missed it entirely. God was speaking as all things were by him and for him, and God was speaking, and yet we couldn't hear because we were only looking at it from our perspective. And if I believe that I can find God somehow this morning, you're not going to find him because there's nothing in him you desire. And in that same verse, it says, there's none that seek after God. Have you ever been mad at God because you, saw, you, were, you thought you were seeking Him and you didn't find Him and then you blamed Him? Where have you been? You weren't seeking Him, the Bible says. See, the Gospel brings it to a dilemma that with, I have no ability to seek God. It's God who has called me. It's God who has chosen me. See, how did you get here this morning? Some of you thought you might have made a decision to come to church this morning. Now, I don't want to get too weird. Is it already too late? You know, and if you take anything to the nth degree, it's going to get strange. But God, you know, it talks about God orders our steps. He knows the ends from the beginning. And I believe God lets us think we make our own decisions. Now, I don't want to, well, this is my decision. Don't get into that because it doesn't work. That's metaphysical nonsense. God's ways are beyond finding out. But there are some things that he's, you know, kind of wanting us to rest in, that he orders our steps, and he's speaking to us, and it's not just mere happenstance that you happen to be there. But some of us think that, you know, we, we actually think we make our own decisions, you know. And it's good to know that God orders our steps, and make your own decisions. But I believe it's God who's ordered those. Otherwise, you might, you'd be in a really bad place. See, God brought us here this morning. See, I didn't choose to be here this morning. He brought me. He brought me. He brought you here. Have you ever fought against God? Like the children of Israel, just 40 years to learn two things. I brought you in the desert. How many people are sick of being in the desert for 40 years? Oh, yeah, that's, that's why he brought you here. Man, he did, God, how many people are upset that God didn't give you the smorgasbord, just gives you manna? You know, every morning I get up and I go through the same routine. And it's kind of like, you know, I look at the same ugly face, you know, in the mirror. The mirror doesn't change. Same old toothpaste, same rate. Why are you laughing? Your face isn't any better. And it only gets worse from there. Yeah. Speaking of cars. Now, <laughs> Christy told me. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, don't tell Christy anything. She tells me everything. I might not remember it. I might not remember it, but it was a good one. Anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah, 40 years. Why didn't God give him a smorgasbord? I mean, God, you know, he's not Jim Reed. He's not cheap. God is, he owns a golden cattle on a thousand hills. He wasn't going to the 99-cent buffet. He didn't have to. He could have gone to the, you know, the deluxe. Las Vegas buffet for thirty nine ninety five with crab legs. It's not worth it. Unless it's free. But anyway, we're off the subject. God's going to deal with us. He's going to appear to us as, as, we, as we can relate to him. 
see. And then we won't be able to relate to him. <laughs> but, so why doesn't God give us the smorgasbord? How, how many people here have anybody here complained to God, at least in, maybe in your mind or heart, murmured against God this week of why it's just the same old manna? Well, there's a reason for it. And in Deuteronomy, he lets us know. He says, I brought you out in the desert to, so that, to prove you that you could learn two things. To see whether you'd serve God or not. And the answer was, they couldn't. Wouldn't that be nice to know that you'd have no hope anymore in yourself and you'd finally realize, Jesus, take my life. You order my steps. You make my decisions. I'm going to glorify you. Or you could go out and, you know, there's two ways of picking up manna. Eh, stupid old manna, same thing every day. Got to brush my teeth wide. Is, 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 anybody find your life boring? It's meant to be. There, nobody lives an exciting life after the age of 18. I mean, you, you know, and, and I'm speaking from my, at the age of 17, 18, I had accomplished my whole life. I thought, what was the point? What was the point of living? There's nothing else worth doing. I clocked out, dropped out, and was gone. Because I didn't want to live like this. But there's a big surprise. It's called Jesus. And life... It's a secret. Don't tell anybody. Life is meant to be boring. See? How many people heard, oh no, it's not you? Go ahead. Live, live an exciting life. How exciting could it be? I mean, you can only, I mean, everything exciting after a period of time just loses it. It's meant to because Jesus came and he overcame this world. He overcame the boredom. He overcame the bitterness. He overcame the sin. He overcame the natural man. He overcame everything. And he found one thing worth living for, worth dying for, and that was to serve God. And to glorify God, whether it cost him life, death, friends, family, whatever, everything was about serving God and glorifying him. But we have some things that we too are to overcome in this life. See, Jesus doesn't want to just be the victor. He wants us to be victorious in him and with him. He wants us also to bruise Satan under our feet. So there's got to be a victory in Christ, and that only comes through the cross. What is the cross? We talked about this. See, again, if we, we, we have nice little gold crosses and pictures of crosses and all these wonderful things. It, it's sick. I mean, it's, re- you, you, you know, it's really kind of crazy. See, if we think the cross is kind of like, you ever watch the old Dracula movies? I'm not recommending that, but I, this is before I was saved. You know, they, the guy would take out a cross, and Dracula would be coming. This thing, you know, could just turn into a bat. That would have been neat. You know, he could, you know, do all kinds of strange things, and he's coming at it. It was a Boris. Now, who was Bella Lugosi? Yeah, nice hair. But anyway, <laughs> he'd be coming, and all of a sudden, this guy would pull out this little cross. <laughs> you know, and this. Uh, no, it's there's nothing magical in the cross. Unless a vampire comes at you. (laughs) That and garlic. But we get we get into that. See, the cross is not a magical thing that okay, we you know, you want how many people would like a better life come, you know, come maybe some people came here with some hope today. I've come to destroy that. Because you might have hope that you were going to go out of here a better person. You, you know. No. There's only one better in you. Its name, his name is Jesus Christ. And he has already redeemed you. He's already made you righteous. Now, what I want to do is watch with him and walk with him. But the only way I'm going to be able to do that is to take on the gospel. And realize that when he comes to me, first thing I'm going to do is reject him. And that's why he comes. He came to save sinners. Oh, well, that was 30 years ago when I got saved. His disciples did it to him after the resurrection. We're going to look at that. But if the cross is just a matter to make us better, to fix up our bad spots, or to give us hope in ourselves, we're going to miss it. The cross is an instrument of death. In order for God to work in us, death must first work. 
In order for the resurrection power to come, we must lose all hope in ourselves. And God's going to continually bring us to that. So 40 years in the desert without the buffet. Uh, you can pick up manna. Uh, stupid old man, I'm just tired of doing this every day. Well, what else can I do? I don't know. Either. Or you can pick up manna. Picking up Paul Falls, put it in your pocket. Picking up Paul Falls, put it in your pocket. It's like, praise God. Now that's going to be, someone talked about sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. See, that brings me to the cross. I can either accept that God has ordered my steps, and this is a good thing. Remember, death is a good thing. It's an enemy that has to be overcome, but it's also the means of which Jesus saves us by. It's also what keeps me, David says, let me teach me to number my days so that I can walk before you. Death keeps us in a place of needing the life of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, life is meant to stink. I think we had a sign out there. Life stinks, we have a pew for you. It was a lie. We don't have pews. So, <laughs> But you got the point. I thought that was a good one. Some people are trying to make life really nice. I gave up on that years ago. Why would I want to resurrect something so stupid? We just sang the song, when I'm, when I'm there in glory, we're looking forward. We're looking to a hope that's not found here on earth. You know, if you watch the news, if you had hope, I'm talking to non-Christian people, it's gone. They don't have any hope. I mean, this is a bad deal. Thank God the Holy Spirit's allowing that to happen. But there's a warfare that goes in us. Because God's nature is not our nature. And he's chosen to teach us some things after 40 years. I hope you learn two things, he said. One is that you learn whether you serve me or not. And the answer would be no, we need a Savior. Lord, help me. Lord, you order my steps. And that men would not live by bread alone. How many people would learn, like to learn more than that? You're not going to live that long. Forty years. So again, you know, we're talking about death and the mutual conversation. They're really both the same. See, what are we talking about? And it's going, come on, Irvin, time to go get the manna. Or is it, praise God, this is the day the Lord has made. How many people feel like this is the day the Lord has made? Thank you. Good answer. Oh, good. We got some people that, that have attained. I don't feel like it some days. Some days I just feel like God just, you know, I kind of feel like the Victor Bedoyan voodoo doll. You know, God's getting me, you know. You know, what a hideous thought. Lord, I need a savior. Because, you know, we talk about the love of God, but a lot of times I'm meditating on just my own flesh. Just my own flesh. But God has immersed us in an eternal hope that's secured for us in his death and in his blood and his resurrection. We need to be looking towards that day when we stand with him in glory. Then we're going to be able to serve him face to face. We're looking for a new body. We're looking for an everlasting hope. But while we're here, we got some things. See, God's in... It seems like being here and the church seems to be very important to God. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone through the, 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 the trouble of writing the Bible having families, having a church, having apostles, elders, deacons, all the members of the church, the body, and giving us a work to do. It's not like, well, when we get to heaven, everything's... No. There's something very important going on here. And this is where the Bible really mostly talks about. It talks about, it gives us glimpses of the hope. We're trusting that we're going to live forever with him. But there's going to be a continual work, and it's going to be the same work. We're going to have to glorify God. But we're to learn two things. First off, I have no hope in myself. Have you learned that yet? Or are you still going out every morning thinking, you know, maybe under that one rock there's some, you know, some bagels and locks. Or you're going you're gonna to attain to something. Someday you're going to be happy. Well, the only way that's going to happen is bring me to the cross. This man, this natural man has to die. And eventually that's ultimately going to be fulfilled. Right now we have the earnest of the Holy Spirit that's bearing witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. We don't know yet what we are. It doesn't, doesn't yet appear who we shall be. But when he appears, we're going to see him face to face. And when we see him, we'll be like him. And every now and again, by the grace of God, we get an appearance of Jesus. And something happens, we go, yes. Thank you, Lord. But it, we see dimly. But in that day, we're going to see face to face. And we'll be like him. But right now we're taking it by faith and it seems like, like I said, the trying of our faith 
in this world seems to be what glorifies God the Father. But there's virtue in, and this was all, all that was to say, there's virtue in suffering. <laughs> Did you feel it? Ah, there we Come on, where's the Easter message? Come on, where's the, you know? No. Well, the reason that is is because we live in a society that has taken suffering away. Suffering is a bad thing. To give in to vice, to give in to your flesh, is a virtue nowadays. But the Bible even said, good will be called bad, bad will be called good. And we're, we're smacked with that. So even the very idea of suffering is a virtue would be like, let me get serious. Come on, you don't have to suffer. But it says, arm yourself with this mind. As Jesus suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. Because we are not looking for a, a city whose builder and maker is with hands. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God and we are just pilgrims here on this earth and the things that are coming against us or for us or towards us or whatever is by God's design so that we could be found under praise and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. But suffering is taken away. We don't see suffering here. I like to go overseas with some of the little children where they actually see people with no legs having to sit and sleep in the street. We don't see that. We don't see starvation. We don't see mentally retarded people that are just like, oh, they're put away. And so what we look is we got a matrix here, a persona. Isn't this great? Jesus said, you look great on the outside, but inward, you're full of rotten man, dead bones. And so we need to arm ourselves, and here's the word of God, we need to arm ourselves with the same mind. Now, there's suffering, and then there's suffering. Some of the suffering is just having to get up every morning and brush your teeth. And then find the Lord in that. It seemed to be God's will that every day, six days a week anyway, you go out and pick up manna. How many is six days a week over 40 years? Boring. Or is it the Lord? See, if we're looking for, see, that's why I have to die. Because if I'm looking for excitement, you know, it comes from time to time. But if I'm looking for excitement, this wouldn't be the right thing to do. Hopping freight trains is really exciting. Doing all kinds of other stuff is really exciting. But we're not called to that. We're called to glorify God. And we understand because by God choosing us, foreknowledge, he chose us. We didn't choose him. He made some decisions about me before the earth was made. He said, in 1953, Victor Bedoyan is going to be born. Some years later, I'm going to call him, and I'm going to show him what great things he's going to suffer for my namesake. He didn't even ask me about it. He didn't say, what do you think about that? Would you like to suffer for me? No, thank you. No, I mean, people preach the gospel. No, thank you. The audacity that they would call you a sinner. Jesus came to me and I rejected him because I didn't want to die. I wanted to be in charge of my own life. I want to be, the original sin is what? I want to be God. I want to be God. Nothing, nothing of suffering will touch my life. Please, somebody help me. Get these ugly people away from me. Get these people who cause trouble in the church away from me. We bring it right into the church. Oh, those people, those people, oh, they're bothering me. It's God's design. You're supposed to be bothered. God, when, because we are not like God, when God shows up, it's going to be irritating. Jesus is at dinner with all the Pharisees. They're having a wonderful time until he shows up. Woman comes in, does a number, and they all start murmuring. They don't say it out loud, but Jesus says, knowing what's in their hearts, says, why are you thinking that? This is the reason I'm here. I wanted to show you you're just missing God. You thought you had it together. You didn't. I'm coming here to show you something about yourself. You are a sinner. You need, you need me. And what was their reaction? Let's kill him. Yeah. We might want to do that. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. We need to learn two things. So God's working 
working continually in our life so that death would work in us so that life may work in someplace else. But there is a virtue in suffering. And I don't mean, whoa, I'm suffering for Jesus. I've had a bad day. There's got to be a joy in it. For the joy that's set before Him. For the joy that was set before Him. For the love relationship Jesus had with the Father. For the equality that Jesus had with the Father. We talk about, and again, we have such a bad attitude. How could, you know what's really impossible? The more you go on with the Lord, you find out that, you know why a lot of people don't believe the gospel? It's just an impossible story. How in the world? Why would God love you? You're unlovable. God doesn't love us because we're lovable. And we don't love God because we're good. It says we love God by faith. We love God because He first loved us. He finally opened our eyes and said, Here I am. And somehow we received it. But like I said, I remember the times I I used to spurn people that would preach the gospel to me because I didn't need a Savior. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. How dare you say that? Jesus came to his own and his own rejected him. Well, he's coming today. He might show up at dinner and there's going to come a lady. He might come in downtown and there's going to come a lady. God uses ladies a lot. E was around, you know. (laughs) Got to be careful. Yeah. That's why he says a virtuous woman. There's nothing worse than an unvirtuous woman. They like, you know. I mean, men can be slobs, but when a woman's really slobby, it just really stands out. I know that's a sexist statement, but God made sexes, you know. I mean, I mean, how, how are we not supposed to see, oh, I don't know, is it a girl or a boy? I can't tell. You're an idiot then. You're not a sexist, you're, you're dope. I don't know if he's black or white. You know. <laughs> but suffering... <laughs> You know, think about this. We just, it's so removed from our nature. But it's what God wants us to plunge into. I need to arm myself. And like I said, there's the suffering that, you know, we need to die daily. Wouldn't it be nice to suffer once and just be done with it? Well, he has some other purpose for us. He has some other purpose for us. In our dying daily, in our coming to the cross daily, in my denying myself daily, God is glorified. That is the message. It's a ridiculous message. And in that we understand that this is the love of God. That God gave Himself, He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, not by works. See, I'm not talking about getting saved this morning. We're saved. We're the, right now, God has made the great exchange with us. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm talking about living for Him and being God glorified in our midst through the purpose that He established in the church under Him be glory throughout all ages. It is the church and in the church that He's to be glorified with all the misfits. With all the weirdos you thought about. Have you ever complained to God about how he made the church? The arrogance. Why does that guy come to church? How come the pastor's preaching that message? He said to Job, where were you when I made the earth? Where do you get off telling me how I should orchestrate the church? Why don't you shut up and pick up manna and learn that you're really not that smart? I'm learning that. Like I said, I I hate being dumb. I mean, I really do. But I got it. It just, it just, it's just rampant in my life. It's just rampant in my life. I just can't get away from being dumb. It's just, it's just a gift. You know, I'm trying to build a house. I got a pile of dirt. It's right where I have to build my house. What an idiot! Who did that? Well, I didn't do it, but didn't seem important at the time. Now, so I've got to move the dirt. And I'm looking at that and going, how stupid. I mean, it's just ramp. That's just a small thing. I've got, this morning, I went outside. I had to come back in. It was just flashing neon lights. Dumb, dumb, dumb. You know. And I thought by this time, God would make me smart. It's not his plan. God's not, I have no intention of making you any smarter. And if you were, it wouldn't matter anyway. God would confound the wisdom of this world. See, it's all, it's all about us, isn't it? I thought I'd be smart by now. No. Maybe he made you that way. 
He made Peter that way so everybody would go, wow, that guy's a dummy, but boy, he preaches good. Somebody say amen. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I was thinking about this subject of suffering. You know, it's, it's so taken away. We've got to watch a hunchback of Notre Dame sometime. Notre Dame, you know. You know, uh, I mean, suffering. I would, I'm not talking about Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, you know, where they boom, you know, blood. That's not, that's like weird, you know. There's no suffering in that. There's no virtue in that. I mean, if you want to, you know, get excited, I guess go watch that. And, you know, but it's not very exciting. I mean, after a while, how many times do you blow a guy's head off? You know, when he walks in the room, you know everybody else is dead. So, I mean, even that gets boring. And it's like you could, you know, fast forward and, and, you know, what happened? Well, he beat up everybody and he won. I mean, you know, what's the point? But, you know, we're not, we have, we have so, and, and Satan is moving the world so much that the gospel is going to be hid and hid more and more. And if it's hid, it's to the, hid to them that are perishing. And so much more when we go out every day in this civil world and in this world, we need to be picking up manna to the glory of God. There might be some other things that we could be doing, but God told me to pick up manna. I mean, Jesus, they said, what? Oh, Jesus, it's really good that you're here. Why don't we make you king? You could do this, you could do that. No, it's not what I'm called to do. And when, and you know what happened after he said that? They wanted to kill him. Yeah. God's going to tell you some stuff. Be careful of the reaction you might have. But it's so good because he's already died for us. We could give him our sin. We could say, Lord, I don't understand you. You know, but when we watch the hunchback in Notre Dame, you know, the, the man just goes through some internal suffering, you know. And I, as I said this before, they made that into a Walt Disney musical. There's no suffering in a Walt Disney musical. I mean, the hunchback looks like a cute little nymph. I wish I wasn't so lonely. Well, I, didn't, I never saw it. I only saw the commercials. It was enough. There's no suffering. See, and we're taught that suffering's a bad thing. You don't have to suffer. Let me tell you what. I'll tell you what. Here's the 40 ways to prosper. Well, I believe God wants us to prosper. And I believe God wants us to be instilling some things into our children, into our church, and into our society. But what God really wants to do is have the gospel be manifest in our lives through, through our death. And so suffering with Christ is a virtue that I need to arm myself with and not make it into a Disney musical. And we, we're, sometimes we're really good at that, the church. Now, we really need to know how much Jesus suffered for us. God's working in our lives daily. All right. So I'm saying, you know, as he comes to his own, many times we just don't recognize him because we're so caught up with ourselves. We think everything's about me. It's really not. See, that's the nature of sin. Sin is not getting rid of some of your bad doings. See, some of the greatest sinners are really good people. The nature of sin, Jesus came to lay the axe to the root of the tree. It's the nature of sin that Jesus wants to cut off. And that can manifest itself in all kinds of branches. It can manifest itself in good works, moral acts, giving. Paul said another way, if I gave my body to be burned and have not love, it's nothing. And then he says, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think this is good. No. God may want to just do a special work. And we have to let Christ have his way in our lives. But the nature of sin is simply having control of your own life. It's self-realization that said, I will be like God. I will do what I want to do. I'll eat that fruit if I want to eat that fruit. I know God said, it wasn't like they never heard that. They'd been talking about it. Adam explained it to Eve. Eve knew what it was. And the devil came and said, are you not supposed to eat? No, we're not supposed to eat. It wasn't a matter of knowledge. It was a matter of sin. It was a matter of self-realization. The realization that I want to do what I want to do, that my life is my own. And is what the, when Jesus calls to discipleship, what does he say? Deny yourself. Give up your life. Wait a minute. What kind of gospel is that? Well, it's only the gospel of God. That the only people that could hear that is the ones that God has called to hear it. And it wouldn't be my job to get people saved. It would be my job to preach the gospel. But it's not my job to get people saved because that's up to God. 
Because some, you know, there's a lot of stuff there. We won't get into that. In the weeks to come, we will. But having the gospel preached, you know, reveals some things in my nature. And this is what goes on in our lives daily. That's what, this is what going and picking up manna about daily. This is what the church is about. Having our conversation centered around him. To real, there's every, every day something comes up. Every, every day, probably every half hour, every 15 minutes. How many people have been alone with your mind for more than three minutes? You know, instead of getting us saved, it would have been better if he gave us a lobotomy. You know. But he better, did something better. He gave us the earnest of the Holy Spirit within us. So we can start like, and that's what it says, bringing every thought into captivity. Well, man, I don't see anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with eating fruit. There's just one thing. God said, don't do it. Well, I don't understand why. Because you're dumb. Sin has made your mind warped. You couldn't understand it if God sat down face to face and explained it to you. And the arrogance that we think if we understood we would do it is a lie against the very gospel and the very nature of God. You are not smart concerning spiritual things. David said concerning the holy, I am like a brute beast. And unless God leads me, and unless God washes me, unless the Spirit is in me, I am already gone astray today. Lord, help me bring every thought. This is the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10. Bringing every thought into the captivity unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. And again, when we hear that word obedience, we think lesser, bigger, don't we? How many people say, no one ever is going to make me submit? Ever hear that saying? No one's going to be... Well, just because you're, you're already started off, wrong. Submission and obedience is not an act of over and under. According to the gospel, it's an act of love and equality. Because Jesus learned obedience even though he was God. Jesus submitted to his father because he was equal to his father. He wasn't made to do it. It's because he allowed every thought to be brought into subjection, practicing the word just as we do. And after a while, you get weary, don't you? That's why the Bible says, don't get weary in well-doing. We fight the good fight of faith. It's called endurance. It's not a musical. It's some real, it's some real life suffering. Bring me to the cross, most of the time kicking and screaming. And that's why the centurion says that there's an interesting verse in the Bible. Some of those, he just slips those in there, and you wonder what he slipped those in there for. There's a centurion. Now, you don't get to be a Roman centurion, you know, by being a nice guy. This man was raised in the army under brutality that we could not even understand today. He had most likely seen thousands of crucifixions. He had probably done many himself. He had ordered probably soldiers to be executed for traitorism. He was a man raised in the military might of Rome under unbelievable brutality. He'd seen men crucified before. But when he looked at Jesus, and when Jesus cried and gave up the ghost, it said the centurion said, truly this is the Son of God. What touched that man? He had seen... There was other two thieves there. He had ordered them, pierced the side. He had told them to do this. He had seen the suffering of Jesus in a way that no other man suffered. He endured the suffering for the joy that was set before him. And that's the witness of the gospel. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. When we endure what the world is going through, Jesus overcame the world. The devil and this world threw everything they could at him and there was nothing found, no place of sticking in him. He said, I'm here to do God's will. And that's where we have to bring every thought into captivity. Lord, help us. And you can't do that on your own. See, you can't do that on your own. And from the very beginning, God looked down after he created Adam. Have you ever just wanted to serve God? And some of us get these weird ideas of what it's going to be like in heaven. I think some of us are really going to be bummed out because you're going to be there. <laughs> you know? And he's going to have to say, clean up your room. You're not going to get a maid for that, I don't think. Because everybody in heaven is going to want you to be there <laughs> anyway. You know? 
And so, you know, it's going to be different, I believe, than anything we've ever understood before. Because it's not all about us. It's not all about us. It's all about him. And when God created Adam, he looked down. And what did he say? This is not good for man to be alone. How many people ever want to just be alone with God? That's what I'm, you know, in heaven we think, there we are, we're just going to be him. There's going to be thousands of millions of billions of people besides the angels and the cherub, and we're going to all be seeming to have a good time. Except for us, that God doesn't love me enough. <laughs> How come I, you know, I was expecting a better <laughs> manna again? <laughs> you know, I don't know how it's all going to work. But it's not good to be alone. How many people have said, boy, if I wasn't in the church, I could really serve God better? Wrong! It's not good that you should be alone because it's not all about your personal righteousness. It was not about Jesus being righteous or having his life together. Jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He might want you to become sin, not do sin. But to the, Paul says, I become all things to all men. I allow God to form me to whatever he desires for me, that he is ordering my steps, that he would be glorified in my life. It's not about you having the cross, chasing away vampires, and okay, now you're going to be smarter, you're going to get it together, you'll get a better job. None of that. As a matter of fact, the early Christians understood it real well. If you became a Christian, you're probably not going to get a better job. You're probably going to become part of the circus. They're going to feed you the lions tomorrow. Do you believe? Now, I don't understand how it glorifies God to be eaten by a lion. And I would at that time be very gracious and say, you go right ahead. (laughs) I'll just wait my turn. A lot of people were really acting in a lot of grace and love at that time. No, no, please, Joe. No, 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 no. I I didn't see (laughs) I don't understand that. And that's why I say when I read the gospel, I go, what does this mean? Lord, you must have called me. Because I would think that God would come down, and even they were saying that. If you be God, come off the cross. God will come down. And That's not what he's doing. There is coming a time that he will be made manifest. He will be all in all. But in this time and in this generation, through the glorious manifestation of himself in the church, he has chosen to reveal himself through suffering and weakness. And I don't understand that. But so it's right in his sight. Hallelujah. Lord, work in us that truth. Let's turn because I've got to move on. Because next week's message is going to be so good. I've got to get done with this week's message. And we're going to get to it soon. Luke 24. Don't go, I'm just getting to the message. <laughs> and there was a girl named Emily. <laughs> and a man named Randy with a dusty car. Yeah, nothing's hid from his sight. Yeah. I might be dumb, but I'm not as dusty as Randy. You know? <laughs> and we always want to find something to glory in. I mean, you know, that's why I really, you know, oh, that's why we pray for the kids now. I don't want them to grow up like us. <laughs> you get, you talk to someone. Well, what about Caleb? What does that have to do? Well, I, you know, my room is. Cl- what does that have to do? God is speaking to you face to face. And the only reason I can make fun of Randy's car, it's usually like immaculate. I didn't even know it was there. Don't, no one's going to talk to Christy anymore. <laughs> the reason I'm saying it is because Randy said to Christy, don't tell Victor because if he does, he's going to preach on it. So I had to preach on it. <laughs> and that's nothing to do with the message. I just want to embarrass him. Anyway. Luke 24. I believe, and then we talked about, we need to start deliberately identifying with Christ's purpose in the church, in one another, in our families, in our life, in our job, in all things. And this is something we deliberately need to do. See, Jesus didn't just wake up one day and found himself on the cross. Wow, God's working. 
He set his face like a flint. The word came, I think, Scott, we each have a choice. Or it seems we have a choice. Jesus has, we have to decide what it is that, are we going to obey God? Or at least go through the, our end of obeying God? Or are we just going to kind of do our own thing? Well, I believe that in the church, we're to manifest the glory of God, and we should be practicing the word, at least as much as we can understand that to be. So not, like I said, I don't want to get too metaphysical. Well, you're, no, we, it's in man to work. See, it's in man, and even in, I forget where it says, I think Proverbs, it's the king will prepare his horses and his army for battle. That's what you have to do. Men just can't sit around and go, oh, praise God, I hope he's moving. We used to do that, but it wasn't God. Some other form of smoke. (laughs) But a lot of times we just get in there. We just, oh, when is God going to move? When you get off your bottom, you know, and start doing something. So it's in the, the king prepares his horses and his army for battle, but the results are in the hand of the Lord. It's not by many, you know, he's got a better army. It's by God's design. Have you ever wondered why you failed sometimes and you shouldn't have? God may have had a hand in it. It may not have been the devil. Ask Joseph. Ask Job. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Paul. But don't ask yourself. <laughs> because oh, It's not fair. It's just not right. I don't understand what's going on. You've got it half right. But let that drive you to the cross. So... It seems like when Jesus many times speaks very abruptly to one specific area in our lives called unbelief. And we need to get over the personal affinities and trying to make suffering like the singing version of the hunchback. Okay? Suffering is a good thing, and loving one another as Christ loved us is a right thing to do. See, not just loving one another like, you know, the love-ins. That's not love. This, this is love. And so I need to look at, and say, you know, I need to get rid of some of my natural affinities and have somebody really love me like Jesus loved me. Like those that would preach the gospel to me and get reviled and yelled at and cursed at and told to get out of here. Those that would go to the, 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 the lions. Those that would go to the cross. Those that were living in dens. Where's the love of God in that? It's there. Hallelujah. It's there because this book explains the truth. But if if it's all about us, see, I want, how many people just want someone to understand? I don't want anybody. Your understanding does me absolutely no good. Oh, I'm really going, I understand. So what? Big deal. Well, everybody goes through that. What do I care? I need the answer. Well, his name is Jesus Christ and he's working some eternal weight of glory in your life. Get your eyes off yourself. Look at the cross. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Start serving God. Bring every thought into captivity and get that hunch on your back. (laughs) Oh, if you've never seen the movie. Wow. I haven't seen it in years. I saw it the other day and I said, wow, this is too heavy for the kids. You know, it's a 1930-something movie so it's not, you know, blowing up people and guts being but man whew, wow yeah we'll watch it someday okay so we're on the road to Emmaus this is after the Lord has already resurrected Jesus has resurrected from the dead now oh we'll just read it and behold two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem about three furlongs now we're just going to stop there First off, they're leaving Jerusalem. But we understand that God wanted them to stay in Jerusalem. Remember, after, after he finally realized, go back to Jerusalem, wait there till you can be endued with power from on high. Jerusalem is the city of God. It's the city of peace. But Emmaus is just another village. The word means another place in Canaan. Canaan. But it's interesting, when we try to stray away from the Lord, we usually don't want to break too many of the rules. So Emmaus is only a Sabbath day's journey. Another place says, see, they weren't, they're not, you know, we're not doing anything wrong. Not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of glorifying God and doing what he says. When we, when we start getting to the argument of right and wrong, we've already submitted to the burden of sin. Because right and wrong only comes in after 
sin. It's, as a matter of fact, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Before then, you know what we did? Praise God, this is great. Wow, Eve's here. Praise God, this is good. Wow, that's Adam. He's a great-looking guy. Looked like me. And, oh, the, the garden? Sure, no problem. Name the animals? Fine. Immediately after sin comes in. It's no good. This stinks. You stink. You act. Be careful. So we leave, we're on the road to Emmaus, and these are two disciples, and they talk together of all the things that happen. Now, beware of our speech. James and the Bible talk a lot about our speech. Rehearsing facts is not faith. Rehearsing even religious stuff and what's going on in your day is not the kind of mutual conversation that builds up our speech, that builds up our faith. Unbelief is just as contagious as faith. Whatever you speak, the Bible talks about, that's what you're going to be satisfied with. And we can start being very religious like these guys only going a Sabbath day's journey out of the city of God to another place in Canaan talking about facts. Well, I'm just being honest. Let me tell you what happened. And even, and even conning ourselves, thinking we're talking about what really the Lord is doing. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned. Have you ever communed together in your mutual reasoning? Well, yeah, I don't know about the yeah, the church. Yeah, you know, the pastor's been acting a little funny. Yeah, I've been noticing that. Maybe we need to pray for him. But, you know, and the, yeah, I don't really like that church. There's another church. Unbelief. But it sounds so good. Do you know why? Because you put yourself in, the, in God's place. You decided who should be in the church and where you should be instead of being where God wants to put you. Once God puts you someplace, it's there where, it's where you're called. There you should remain. Oh, do you feel people trying to get off the cross already? Well, what if they start drinking Kool-Aid? Well, you don't have to worry about that. I don't like Kool-Aid. But we get these like weird things. It's like, whoa. Well, what if God wants to, ki- what if the, you know, God's going to kill you? Well, that's what he did to his son. Just, just preaching the gospel. So anyway, they're on, the, they're on their way just talking about some stuff. And guess what happens? Right? Yeah, Jesus shows up and went with them. They didn't even know it. Have you ever been waiting for Jesus to come and you didn't even know he was there? You're, you're complaining to the Lord. Thank you. I see my hand. <laughs> yeah. But their eyes were holding. I like the King James. They didn't understand anything was going on. Their eyes were they're closed. They, they didn't realize it was him. Jesus now has been resurrected from the dead. The very thing they've been waiting for. The very promise they're talking about. The very hope they had, and they didn't even know it was going on. Because they were so given to their own self, their own ideas, their own hope, their own bummed out, and their own religiousness. They're talking about it and didn't realize it happened. Hello. So talking about things being reasoning is not faith, but it's contagious. They're really getting bummed out the further they walk. And he said unto them, Jesus said unto them, what manner, of, how you, what manner of communications are these that you're having with one another? As you walk and are so sad. Ever been walking? Just talking yourself sadder and sadder? Yeah, you know, yeah it was really bad. Man, when Jesus was here, we were getting in trouble. Now it's really bad. And now, you know, now everybody's gone. And we're scared. We're a bummer. And we thought of it. And he says, what, 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 how are you talking? Why are you bummed out? Why are you so sad? <laughs> and one of them said, I'm laughing now because tomorrow's coming. I'm not going to be laughing. <laughs> and one of them said, and he you know, tells his name, answering, and we don't want to give any names here. Have you ever noticed that our God that just really wants to keep everything confidential doesn't? He's going to tell you who blew it here. It doesn't say, and a certain disciple rebuked Jesus. His name was Peter. And we're going to write it down so everybody can look at it. And you want to know about Noah? I want to tell you something. If it wasn't for my grace, they wouldn't be able to do it. So there's a, there's a book with your name in it in heaven. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> Don't open mine, though. It's going to be really ugly. You know. But thank God for his blood. Yeah, confidentiality would only be if we had something to hide. But thank God we don't have anything to hide. His blood covers us all. We're all sinned. What, 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 could, what, what could you do? Romans tells me. That would be me. Named right on the book. Answered and said unto him, Who are you? 
Are you the only, are you the only guy in Jerusalem that's a stranger? You don't know what's been going on for the last three days? Now, three days is an interesting thing. Oh, not going to even get to this week's message, let alone next week's message. Three days. You know, Lazarus, when Lazarus died, Jesus waited three days. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days. Jesus was in the belly of the earth three days. What does it mean? I don't know. (laughs) Because it just came to me this morning. But I got to speak because I think there's something there. And you know what? If you knew, it wouldn't make a whole lot of difference. Because tomorrow you still got to pick up the manna. (laughs) Three days. What does this mean? Three days. Stupid manna. (laughs) Three days doesn't make any difference. We should have some peanut butter on this. We're not supposed to complain. But three days really is the fulfillment of what God's doing. And what's interesting about Lazarus, how many people have been waiting to hear from God? You know, and and today I finally realized I've been hearing from God all this time. I've been waiting to hear from him. That's why the message is hopefully going to get better. I wouldn't have any hope in it. (laughs) Lazarus is dead. What is our response? God, do something. Let's go do something. His response is silence. I'm not doing anything for three days. Do we have enough of a relationship that God could be silent with us? Bring us into an intimate place? Or we demand that he does something? What are you going to do about this woman who's caught in very active adultery? What are you going to do about Lazarus? Nothing. Can you trust me with silence? Is God working with you in his silence? Jesus was silent for three days in the grave, speaking volumes. Can God trust you enough to be silent? Or do we always need to hear him, you know, somehow speaking to us? It's in his silence many times he's going to be revealing things to us. There's a reason why you're 40 years being silent. He's speaking to you for something to take place. Anyway, that's a side note. We'll talk more about that. You're the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been going on these three days. And Jesus said, (laughs) what's the matter with this guy? There is no compassion in this man. These men are bummed. These guys didn't just happen to just, you know, hear about the story. They had given their life to Jesus Christ for three and three and a half years. They were ridiculed. They probably lost their job. They're afraid to stay in Jerusalem now. People are trying. They think you're going to kill them. This was like somebody that had, I invested all my life in Jesus. Now he doesn't care. Right. Because he's not interested in that. He's only interested in one thing. The trying of your faith to glorify his father. And if that means you need to be sold into slavery, hallelujah. Did you hear the rousing amen? There must, there's another gospel working in here. The gospel of, it's all about me. Well, I thought Jesus saved me because now, you know, you know, whatever it would be. No, he saved you because he's got a purpose for you. And Jesus says, what things? He already knows he's the Lord. <laughs> and they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, have you ever talked to the Lord about the Lord? You ever complained to God about what he's not doing? Your eyes might have been holding. I mean, you have a right to complain. You've been, you know, I've been three and a half years, and this is the third day by now. Lazarus, the third day, and, you know, we've already buried him, and he don't, don't come. We don't really want you anymore. It's the third day, and, you know, we're... <laughs> so, be careful. This is his disciples. This is his disciples. Thank you. And Jesus said... They said, it was Jesus of Nazareth, a mighty prophet indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests had, and the rulers delivered him to condemn him to death and crucified him. But we trusted that, we trusted that it had been, that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. We thought it was going to, he was going to do this. Yeah. And besides this, it's the third day since these things were done. And certain women, we're going to get to the certain women too. And certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, and they found not his body. And they came saying that they all had also seen a vision of an angel, so forth and so on. And a certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even as the women had said. And then Jesus replied. This is where we need to get on with the Lord. Now, I don't think Jesus is responding, responding here from a sense of meanness or vindictiveness. I believe he's responding out of mercy, out of love, and out of a sense of fulfilling his Father's purpose. 
He could have said, boy, you guys just don't get it, man. I understand you're really going through it. Let me, let me sing you the musical version of The Hunchback. You probably, you know, I realize I'm sad that you're going through suffering. Um, I'm sorry I put you through it. It doesn't say anything like that. And again, I don't think it's out of a sense of meanness. But I think we have to get directed on the same thing God is looking at in, in people. And Jesus' first response to these people who seem to be broken, hopeless, destitute, had willingly given up their lives, he says, you fools, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. He doesn't say anything else about what you've seen, what you felt, what I did. It's all right here. He says, why didn't you have the faith to believe this? This is what God is looking at. He wasn't concerned about their feelings in the sense of, let me, let me make you happy again, so now we, you missed it. He says, you fools, ought not have Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory. And then what does Jesus do? He doesn't give them experiences, doesn't bring things back to their memory and say, remember when I was with you. He begins to preach the gospel and talk about the word. From Moses and the prophets, he begins to expand on who he is. And this is our speech. Our speech needs not to be holding one another's hands in the sense that's all that there is. There's a time to do that. There's a time to be, you know, I have... But it needs to come quickly back to, if not begin with, your heart is hard, that's why you don't see God. And from the word, we need to be speaking the word rather than experiences. And it says that... Jesus was going to go, they were, they were getting ready to sit down. And it looked like Jesus was going to go on. And they said, don't go. Have you cried out to the Lord? No, stay with me a little while. Make me a little more uncomfortable. And it says, and they took bread and break it. And then their eyes were opened and they knew it was him. Sometimes we get a glimpse and we know it was him. When he begins to break his body, when he begins to break that with us and we eat. And it says, and then as soon as we knew it was him, what happened? He vanished out of the sight. Wouldn't it have been better just to stay there and kumbaya Oh, this is so neat. Oh, guys, I'm so glad you reckon. He's not interested in the the fuzzy feelings. We are. And thank God we get get enough of them. Probably more than our share. But he's interested in doing the Father's will and having that investment fulfilled in us. And then they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us in the way and opened up the Scripture? He didn't give them experience. We need to be speaking the word one to another. And they rose up the same hour and they went back to Jerusalem. Something grabbed, we're just ready to go night, night, night. You know, it was too late. And they, but when they saw Jesus, they realized what the scripture had been fulfilled. They ran back to do it. Now, I got to finish this because I got to move on. Let me just get back to the women. Remember the women? Remember the women? Yeah, those, those women again. Mark 16. Mark 16. I think it's Mary Magdalene and I think the mother of Jesus, they went to the tomb and they, they see that the tomb was empty and an angel comes and tells them he's, he's resurrected, so forth and so on. God has an order to things. He doesn't go to the, the 11 right away. Wouldn't you do that? Guys, I've resurrected, here I am, it's all... No, he's doing something different. And... And they went and told, okay, as they appeared. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither, okay. So it's talking about the road to Emmaus. The two guys come back from Emmaus and tell them what happened, and they didn't believe. I know that wouldn't be you, because you're different. Well, if God spoke to me, I'd believe. No. But we're learning how to do that. And then they went and told, and they wouldn't believe. And afterwards, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat in meat. Oh, no, the women. The women came back and told them what happened. And after the eleven are there, and they're sitting at meat, and Jesus appears unto them, and what's he do? He abrades them. He rebukes them with, with, with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them that had seen him after he had risen. Jesus seems very concerned with our unbelief and getting rid of it. He doesn't first come and say, guys, here I am. You don't need to be sad anymore. Let me make you happy. You should. He immediately starts in with, why didn't you believe? Not didn't you didn't believe me. Why didn't you believe the women that preached the gospel to you? 
And many times we're saying the same thing. Well, Jesus know me. He's saying, no, I'm going to talk to you through the scripture. I'm going to talk to you through the church that I've appeared to. And we're not going to, I don't believe you. You're just a person. You, you, who do you think you, Jesus is going to say, he's going to have to upbraid us for the hardness of our heart because we didn't believe them that had seen him. There's got to be some change there. See, God might put you in a, in a silent place like he did to the two on the road to Emmaus, like he did the 11, because it's going to be in that silence that he's really going to be speaking to us. So what we want to begin to do is bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and start letting God's faith and his purpose work in our lives and letting our speech be deliberately directed towards Christ's intention in one another and not, you know, oh, well, you know, we understand it. You're missing it. He upbraided them for their unbelief in both places. You fools and slow to heart. This is what we should be talking about. This is what we should be doing. And it's a, it's a war. We just get tired. But I've got to speak the truth. Or we can just mumble and complain. But speaking the truth, and that's going to be the real manifestation of love. Why doesn't anybody love me? I mean, why isn't anybody spoiling you? Why isn't anybody dropping off a million dollars to your door? Why isn't? Well, because God's got a purpose. God has made some decisions about your life without asking you. Because he's God. And now it's our responsibility with Christ in us to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, beginning with us right here. Speaking the words of faith from the scripture. He didn't give one thing. Well, I did, I did this. And you didn't believe the women. I mean, I'm not saying believe all the women all the time. Just, you know. I mean, I can understand. They're, you know, that might be a But... You braided them because you didn't believe those that were preaching the gospel. It's time to get out of ourselves and start glorifying God in our bodies. Amen, amen, and amen. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.